Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Uh, you, Observer Hall of Fame. Observer Hall of Fame. Yeah, so I've, I've actually been um, very, very carefully trying to timestamp all their stuff here. So oh, are you timestamping it for me? A little bit, a little bit. One, I mean, just like... You're, you're assuming I'm going to make no edits, though. Yeah, yeah, but at least <laughs> it should be in somewhat, somewhat order here. Um, so, uh, how many, how many uh, years have you been voting in the Observer Hall of Fame? My first time I got an Observer Hall of Fame ballot that I recall was when I was in the Boston Improv Festival. I was sitting in a hotel room... Uh, with my improv partner, Adam, and uh, I got an email that morning from Dave. And as all the emails from Dave, they're not actual emails from Dave. They are uh, responses to things that you have sent him in the past that then he has chosen randomly to respond to to send you this this, uh, email. And so I'm looking here to see uh, what what year this was. I, I can remember very clearly. So looks like 20... Nope, 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 nope. There we go. 2014. Yep. In 2014, Dave responded to my email, UFC impact on WWE pay-per-views, which is what he's used for three years to respond to. And then this year he decided to respond to 18 athlete explanations for failed drug tests, mental floss article as his thing he sent me. Um, So 2014. So I guess 14, 15, 16, 17. So this is my fourth year doing it. So this is my second year. And, um, applies to like new japan attendance ngpw attendance yes yeah so and as we we've joked a lot that whenever i get a group of of guys that vote on this we always talk about a bix and others that you know uh, i think bix is it's the demon noise from a ufc is is bix's crazy email where at one time in the audio flipped out and it's just this like bizarre in the middle of a ufc event and and you know bix sent some email about it and that's the one that dave always replies to (laughs) Um, so yeah, there was a lot of people on the ballot this year. Um, I have been putting together this website on, uh, indeed wrestling.com. You're, you're tracking I, everyone's, each wrestler's performance. Where we as- are tracking. I like to think of this as a group effort because I am not the only person who spends time digging through all of this hall of fame ballots and putting it up. So I, I get help from other people who look at these old observers and help me find mistakes and, and fix things. And then I take some of the data that they send me and then I reformat it here. And the goal of it is now that I put almost every single person who has ever been on the ballot um, in here on a separate tab. And I see a total of 362 different people who have ever been on the ballot or have already been voted in by fiat. Um, And then I have their history by year of how they've done. And then, you know, you can kind of see who – what category they're in because sometimes they call it U.S. Canada. Sometimes it's, it's modern U.S. Canada. Sometimes it's historical U.S. Canada. Sometimes it's the the uh, the Carlos Colon category where they loop everything else in the world that is not U.S., Canada, Japan, or Mexico. Sometimes it's Europe by itself. Sometimes it's not Europe by itself. Sometimes it's non-wrestler category where they just, you know, put a bunch of random people in. But then secretly, each one of those people belongs to a, their own category. So like if you vote for Stanley Weston, you're also voting for historical U.S. Canada, even though you're not intending to. So um, it's it can be a complex process that changes year over year. So I tried to capture a lot of that in here. You know, I tried to capture the Chris Benoit 
um, 2008 vote on, you know, should he stay in the observer or not? Yeah. Uh, and all the other things. So it's a good resource. I think, um, it's something that I think a lot of people were shocked were, was not ever really available before this. And it shocks me that so few people use it just because they'll ask stupid questions like is so-and-so in the hall of fame or has so-and-so ever been on the ballot? Right. And there's, to me, there's no official, um, I don't know, place of record or anything like that for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. This basically just is a Wikipedia page if you Google it. Yeah. So this is this is a really good resource for figuring out who actually was voted in and how they've done year over year. And uh, I need to update some of my colors on here, like make sure I've highlighted all the people who have actually gotten in. Um, most of them should be in, in capital letters versus um, if they're not in capital letters, that means they were not voted in. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, they're in here. And then occasionally you have people that use different names or get repackaged. So, for instance, Cactus Jack himself showed up on the ballot one year and then years later became McFoley. Or um, Michael Hayes was his own person, same with Terry Gordy. And then later he, he got in as part of the Freebirds. Yeah. So sometimes you have to kind of reference people in more than one place. To um, uh, Same with um, – who is it? Uh, Tully and Arn? No, I was going to say in Japan, uh, the tag team. Kojima uh, and Tenzan? Yes, where where Tenzan I think was in there as his own person at first, and uh, dropped off, and then was later brought in, uh, or maybe it was Kojima was in by himself. Yeah, Kojima was in by himself uh, in 2014 and 27 2007, and then in 2014 they brought back the Kojima Tenzan tag team. Okay. So. So what categories um, did you vote in? I voted. So my philosophy. Let me just let me just before I answer your actual question, I'm going to give you my philosophy, okay. which is. Um, I think there's a lot of people in some areas of the ballots that could get in. And when you when you look at the history of everybody, there's a few people that it's remarkable that they did not ever break that barrier, but they came so close for years and years and years. So, um, you know, Dick Murdoch very famously would be at 40 something percent all the way at close to 59 percent in 2006 yeah people and call he was him dropped the, gate, the gatekeeper right like so yeah. if you if you're greater than dick murdoch you're in but if you're not you're out yeah and i i've always been a little bit more of a big boat guy where i i feel like if you're gonna put jimmy lennon senior in then you're gonna put and you're gonna put in ultimo dragon and you're gonna put in you know all these other guys that it's not to say that this is such an exclusive group that only, you know, 10 people could ever be part of it. You know, there's so many people from different areas of the world. You know, Dara Singh is in the Hall of Fame and Dick the Bruiser and Fred Kohler and all these other people that, you know, are from really old times. And then, you know, more more modern people are in as well. And it, it can be a big boat. You know, Paul Heyman gets to be in the same boat as Pero Aguero Jr. You know, there, there's a lot of different people here that can be doing stuff. So Ricky Steamboat or even Ted DiBiase, you know, there's there's people here that are um, really good workers. And so I think if you get on the list and you have a lot of people that are interested in you, um, I don't have a big problem if you get voted in. So I was not upset that Sting was voted in. In fact, I was voting for Sting to get in because I thought his recent WWE run proved that he had a lot of markability. Yeah, and I do, I do think that last run gives him some points, probably similar for Goldberg, too. Exactly. And so and and even a guy like Batista, um, for years and years, what I would do is I would go through and I'd say, OK, let me take all the Observer Awards. Let me take all the people that got into the Hall of Fame and then let me take all the awards and then like basically create a regression model that says if you get this many Observer Awards, how close are you to becoming a Hall of Fame candidate? Yeah. And when I did that, I found that guys like Brian Danielson would do very, very well. CM Punk and Batista would actually do decently. They would actually do better than Edge. And for me, I was like, well, I really like Edge as a candidate. And so if I've got to vote for Edge, then I got to vote for CM Punk and I got to vote for Batista and some other ones. And of course, some of these, you know, Batista, Batista for, has never been did on very ballot. poorly. Did, yeah, well, Batista yeah, he, was on the ballot? He was, yeah. 2011 okay. and 2012. Okay. He did 17%, then 13%, and then he was dropped. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, think, there, I think we should consider Batista. So th th there's a lot of people like that where I think there's other metrics you can look at, attendance or interest, and they peak in a very interesting way. Now, you can also make the argument that some people peak too early because there's a uh, – I almost wonder if we should have a mandatory 24-month uh, kind of moratorium after you die because yeah. – 
you know, the, the death bump can sometimes be so big for certain people that you wonder, are people voting in the context of history or are they voting in the context of emotion? Yeah, and I think Dave Brown's going to get a death bump from Lance, uh, Lance Russell. Maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think the age limit should be 40 or 45, and I think we shouldn't be voting for people at, you know, at least a year or two after they die. But so that's all set. That's all my preamble here. But my, my idea is that I wanted to see more people in the Hall of Fame because I think at a certain point here, it's lost some of the credibility for me to start saying, well, if so-and-so's in, then so-and-so can't be. Because I think in some ways it can be a big boat where we say I'm celebrating all these elements of wrestling and all these people's really great achievements. And I, as a single voter, am never going to tip the scale, right? If I push for Batista and he drops off the ballot, that just speaks for you can have a strong view, but it's not the majority view. And so what I went looking for this year was people that I thought I could support that were in the high 40s. So I was not going to be a person this year that was going to save a lot of people from getting eliminated, but I was going to save a lot of people that I thought deserved to move much closer to being near the, near the gate. And if other people agree with me, they'll move over the gate. And if other people don't agree with me, then they won't. But I'm okay with that. I wanted – I went to try to go kind of with consensus candidates. I didn't feel like I needed to do third-party votes out of my conscience. I feel felt like I should support people that you know I thought were either really good candidates or people that were candidates I could live with that I thought deserved more recognition. And other people seemed to be in that same direction. And the last thing I did is I noted how many people have been voting for these wrestlers because I wanted to point out that sometimes we – the U.S. category is so hard to get in. And there's so many hundreds and hundreds of people that have to vote for you. And if you go back in history and you look at some of these years, in the year uh, 2000, you needed 33 votes to get into Mexico. In the year 1998, you needed 11 votes to get into Mexico and 12 votes to get into Japan. And now we have people that get hundreds of votes in the U.S. and they're still in the mid-30s. So it's just – it's striking to me sometimes how big that difference can be. So for the U.S., that was my big preamble <laughs> for the U.S. Uh, I voted for Junkyard Dog, for Edge, and for Sergeant Slaughter. And then part of this was is I wanted to go really deep on some of these other categories, so I didn't go deep on U.S. Modern. But I've been a big proponent of JYD, just thinking about the enormous business that he drew in Mid-South. Um, like I said, I'm, I am a big Edge proponent. Um, CM Punk, I was stronger on for a while. I've kind of backed off my CM Punk uh, fandom. Um, with his kind of decision to go into UFC and, and kind of pull out of wrestling. Um, I feel like he's, his legacy is not necessarily the same. Uh, and Sergeant Slaughter, I think it was one of the best big men of all time. Uh, you know, he really was really great. And, you know, the fact we have the slaughter bump, the fact that, uh, you know, he didn't, his, his boot, boot camp matches are just incredible. I really enjoyed those. Back there there are a really great series of matches with the Sheik from, I think it's, it's 84. Oh, uh, and I'm even thinking of the earlier ones where it's uh, him versus Patterson um, right. in, in WWF uh, back in the day. So tell me a little bit about who you voted for in the modern category. Well, just, just real quick first, though, you're talking about like, the, the overall, the, why you vote the way you did. Do you think there's like an inevitable, we, we inevitably dilute a concept like the Hall of Fame, like the longer it, go, lo, the longer it exists, it's sort of like an inflation in that. Whatever this arbitrary criteria is that... W- we we define as the threshold between being a hall of famer and not being a hall of famer doesn't that get pushed when you're not voting people out very often except for in the case of like benoit doesn't doesn't that line get pushed pushed down further and further the more and more we vote sort of inevitably i'm not like saying there's a solution to this but you know you know what i mean a couple things with that yeah yeah i mean i think it's like saying what's the history of television and then being like, oh, my God, the history of television keeps getting bigger. Now I have to talk about, you know, now I have to talk about Westworld. Now I've talked about Game of Thrones. This isn't fair. Ten years ago, this wasn't an issue. And it's like, well, things evolve. So, of course, as we add to that bulk of, of history, it's going to get different. Um, I think there could be better categories for us to be voting on to say, are we voting for this person for their ability as a draw, for their ability as a worker, for their ability as a trainer? For their ability of being an innovator, because you could argue uh, Atsushi Anita um, did a great job of making hardcore wrestling a provenable draw on a charismatic back. Yeah. Uh, and Ultimo Dragon was a great worker, but he was an incredible trainer. 
and you know uh, th- this per- Sean Michaels is a great worker and that uh, 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 Vince Kennedy McMahon is a great promoter and you know and and we can make a little bit more specifications and sometimes we loop them all in together in such a way that it's really hard for us to say why is this person in this category worth what they are because it's like Gene Okerlin and Lou Albano in some cases are both called non-wrestlers and they both provided very different roles in what they did to make themselves Hall of Fame candidates. Um, but they both basically talked people into seats and made made people care about the people that they were around. And they did them in different ways, right? One as an antagonist, one as kind of a proponent. And it's interesting to me where you can see someone like a Gorilla Monsoon who gets so pigeonholed by the concepts that they repeat, the talking points that they talk about for what he is, that then, you know – it's almost like we're saying he's not a good enough worker, he was not a good enough booker, and he was not a good enough announcer. The grill announcing was not on the ballot. He is not in the Hall of Fame, correct? He fell off the ballot finally um, after years and years and years of, of basically just toiling around in different groups. Uh, from 1998 through 2014, he was on the ballot every single year. And, and the narrative with him, at least in the, in the newsletters at the time, is that he was, he was burying people on, on commentary and he wasn't a good commentator. Essentially, ignoring his time as a you know, a draw as a wrestler and ignoring his time as an important um, force in both Puerto Rico and WWF, you know, wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, and that's, that's the choice you can make. I, I'm not saying you have to, but it's just, to me, there's, it, it gets so blurry sometimes. And then my favorite example is Don Fry. So Don Fry in 2003 got 49 votes for the Japan category for 2004. He gets 77 votes for the Japan category. That gives him 56%. You know how he does in 2005? How? Oh. He doesn't exist. He disappears off the ballot altogether. Really? Has he never been on the ballot since? <laughs> He's never been on the ballot since. And I think what happened uh-huh. was this is when Dave started his very short run Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame MMA, MMA edition. Fame. And I think he might have even been voted into the MMA Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. And then, you know, Dave, I, the way I think he's told it before is that he was basically told, you know, uh, other other companies are going to start their own MMA Hall of Fame and, and we'll, we're going to get them voting on it. And, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't get associated with this or something. I don't even know exactly why Dave gave up on it. Uh, I should find that example again to figure out what his explanation was. But it just quietly goes away. Hmm. And so to me, it's like. How do you have a Hall of Fame where you thought for two years that Don Fry was almost about to be inducted and then you take him out of the running altogether, but you leave a, Kas- a, a Sakuraba in um, because you, you're arguing, well, he's this Japanese MMA pro wrestler hybrid, but you know Don Fry is a MMA guy who went to Japanese wrestling, but he's this and that. And also you could say in the larger scheme of things, was Don Fry really a Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame candidate? Or was he a hot guy for 2004 when you're looking at it? But now in 2017, it just doesn't hold up. I don't think he was even hot in 2004, right? Like He wasn't, but the memory of him in 2004, I think, was still hot. Yeah. So it, it's just funny to me. Like there's that, those elements um, where there's some people like, you know, Chris Jericho, I was actually kind of sour on getting in back in 2010. I really didn't feel like he deserved it. And he had gone from 12% of votes in 2008 to 52% of votes in 2009. Um, Probably because of the great Shawn Michaels feud. Yeah, but at the time I was like, that's one great feud. Like, yeah. And you're with Shawn Michaels. Is that enough? Now, in 2017, would I vote for Chris Jericho? I probably would. I think he he's shown that he has the staying power by coming back and reinventing himself in a way that makes me think, okay, he's, he gets it. And the fact that he's going to go to Tokyo and be at a Wrestle Kingdom show I think adds to his credibility a lot. Um, so I, I would actually start voting for Chris Jericho now. If I was given the chance and I would almost say, wow, we voted him in way too early versus, yeah, I think a Masawa uh, uh, or a, uh, uh, a Kenta or a uh, Toyota, uh, they deserve to get in when they did. And it's kind of a, a shame that someone like Toyota K- – Kenta um, or Kenta Kobashi? Uh, Kobashi, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, Kenta Kobashi is what I meant. But someone like a Toyota, she did not get voted in until two, 2002. Are you telling me that Menomi Toyota – was not good enough in 2001, 2000, 1998, 1997, 1996. She, her great run was from like 92 to 94. Yeah. Was when it, she was, was in the absolute, 90s, yeah. And, you know, she was winning Wrestler of the Year. And I think it, maybe it was because she wasn't 30. No, she should have been 35 by then. So, yeah, it, it's just absurd to me that some of these people take so long to even get on the ballot. You know, the fact that we were arguing over uh, uh, 
was it Naga, Nageo or um, uh, another? Uh, she wasn't in, voted in until 1997. Chigusa? Chigusa Nagayo? Yeah, yeah. She wasn't voted in in the initial class, along with Carpenter, Santo, Kawada, Jimmy Lendon, and William Muldoon. Which is just the bizarrest group of people you can imagine <laughs> in 1997. They were all voted in by fiat. Okay. And what I mean by that is they're really – Dave says, oh, I talk to the historians and we, we decide on people that are underrepresented and then we would bring them in. He has a secret and, meeting every year with the, all the well, old historians and they get together and they make their and, final decisions. It's like how they elect the pope or something I imagine. So like Bill Longston and Frank Sexton and Tarzan Lope. Pez, uh, Paul Bauer, uh, Evan Lewis, Martin. Smoke uh, emerges Harkin. from the cathedral, and that's how you know they've come to a decision. Uh, Gus Sonnenberg, uh, Ray Fabani, uh, Eddie Quinn, uh, Montreal promoter James L- McLaughlin. Those are the guys that have just been voted in. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that some historian basically comes to Dave and says, I wrote a biography about so-and-so, and I think they're good. And then Dave kind of reads it through and says, yeah, I think they are worth getting in. And no one's ever going to appreciate enough of what they do. And so it, it's it's all right to me. But I, I like the fact that we've increased the boundaries so much for some of these people. I do feel like I would feel a lot better if we actually went back and revoted on all those people in 96 and 97 who were just inducted by fiat. Yeah. So that we could say, hey, everybody, how do you feel about um, Andre the Giant? And something like that and be like, yeah, everyone agrees. Andre the Giant's incredible. And and maybe it's pointless because so many of these people, you're going to say, I agree, they're they're incredible. I think somebody like Ted DiBiase is pretty comparable to Sergeant Slaughter. And that, yeah, he's somebody who's deserving of consideration. But I'm, I'm not sure that I would vote for him right off the top of my head. Yeah. And I would say in 1996, what you thought Ted DiBiase might be in where he was with WCW and what, what role he might play. That could have been a lot bigger versus where he actually ended up being, right? Where you would say, oh, maybe he wasn't as big of a deal in the 30-year the scheme of things as I thought he was going to be in the middle of a wrestling war when he was still on television and he was managing the NWO. Yeah. Right? So I, I don't think there's almost anyone in that initial group that would get knocked out. And I think the problem is that they would basically run into problems with how many people can you induct in a year. Um, and, and I agree, you know, it's not like anyone disagrees that Hulk Hogan shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And it's ridiculous to me that some people like The Rock only received um, 86 percent of his votes the year he went in or someone like um, I think the, the the highest of all time was Kenta Kobashi, who really? came in at 98 percent. He got 81 votes. Was that 98 that he was voted in? 2002. 2002. OK. Yeah. So. I think, you know, what, means, I think what happens with a lot of people is they're limited to 10 selections, right? So they – especially when it comes to younger people, I hear a lot of people say that, well, I don't want to vote for this guy yet because I feel like his career is, isn't, isn't over yet. And I'll, I'll consider him more seriously when his career looks more like it's – you know, most. that's of how I feel happened. on punk to be really yeah. honest and, and AJ Styles to a smaller degree um, where you know AJ right now I think is – he's a guy who's fallen off the ballot twice. And he keeps getting back on because he keeps proving that he's relevant. But I don't know if he's proven that he's the greatest of all time, you know, kind of that Hall of Fame super duper top level sort of thing. He's proven that he's capable of maybe being there. But I still think he needs that top level worldwide reign, you know, to to get there. And he's in the middle of working for the biggest company in the world. And so, so, so by the way, I voted for CM Punk, AJ Styles and JYD. So. If we're talking about AJ Styles, I think he's been a generational top-tier worker since about 2005 to the present. I, th- I think a lot of people would agree he's really good right now. He's one of the best wrestlers in the world. I th- and I feel maybe almost that alone is makes him Hall of Fame worthy. But then you add in the fact that he's he was like the number three to number five full-time guy in WWE since probably the summer of 2016 since he's he won the WWE title. And has yeah, but being number ratings. five in WWE is not a Hall of Fame criteria. No, but it, it, I think it gives him points. It, it adds to his credibility. Mm-hmm. And, and he was also about the number three to number five top star for New Japan from about 2014 to 2015. Uh he was a major star for w, for TNA throughout almost its entire history, and I would say throughout its hottest years, for whatever that's worth. So I think he's a Hall of Famer based on that. I, I don't disagree that he, he is worthy of Hall of Fame contention and consideration. 
I am the sort of person who would like to vote for a lot of other people who I think have made it in already. Yeah. And so he doesn't meet my 10 top 10 criteria. Um, he does meet my, does he deserve to be on the ballot, especially after he retires? Absolutely. I think, I think he's a similar case to, to Daniel Bryan, which by the way, looks so the last year I voted for one candidate and one candidate only knows Daniel Bryan. Um, and, and part of this is I only, I, I vote sparingly in part because I'm only, I'm only voting in the U S and in Japan. I don't feel like I know enough about the other areas to vote. Even that non wrestlers category, there, there are people in there like Jim Crockett senior who like, I'm, I would have to spend an afternoon reading about Jim Crockett senior and, and probably others, even, even Gary Hart. Like I know who all these guys are, but I don't have a really great understanding of, of their biographies, I guess. Um, Absolutely. So, so we, we identified the three people that you have voted for in modern, which were JYD, AJ and CM. So you're big into initials is what I'm learning here. Um, I I think CM Punk is a hall of famer because he's, first of all, we can look at influence and I think he's one of the three or four forebearers of modern indie wrestling. I think he helped build the ring of honor brand into what it is today. Uh, I think he helped, he changed, helped change wrestling, helped change WWE's often very rigid uh, philosophy about who can be a star. And I think he got it through their heads that maybe some of these indie guys can be major stars for us. Um, and I think he's influential, at least like in, a, in an aesthetic sense or in, a, in, a, in an attitude sense or in a, in a look sense to a lot of wrestlers. You see a lot of CM Punk-looking copycat guys, right? Um, as far as a draw, I think he was a moderate draw for a couple of years between maybe 2011, 2013. And you could probably argue that, well, that was sabotaged because, you know, Triple H destroyed him or whatever. Um, yeah, I agree with you. He, he has very good credentials. I would love to see the one more from him. Yeah, and and right? if I could add, like he's so, I think what he did even in, in that 2011 to 2013 period is, is more impressive than, say what Roman Reigns is doing now because he he was going against the grain right he was going to he, he probably didn't want him to be over like they want Roman Reigns or somebody like that to be over um, absolutely and I think that's the key point is that he's a candidate that in my mind sometimes his stature is growing as the years go on and you can contrast what he was doing in that environment with what people today are doing in that environment I think the the MMA excursion was a weird footnote for him because in some ways it proved that he had drawing power, right? Because the pay-per-view yeah. got a lot of attention. But it also proved that he, he he wasn't able to necessarily be the same character because he refused to be the pomposity and the bombastic character that he was in wrestling yeah, in yeah. an MMA thing. And I felt like that hurt his ability to be the all-around package. And I, and I would guess that has to do with like sort of like Jericho not wanting to just get a Fozzie booking – because he's a wrestler, right? I think he wanted to prove that he was an athlete and an MMA, and an MMA fighter who was there in some sense on his own merits rather than just because he's the pro wrestling personality guy. But uh, Absolutely. But, but I just mean like a Chael Sonnen in some ways has made himself, in my mind, a stronger Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame candidate <laughs> just from his ability to say, I'm going to talk people into watching events and then I'm going to be this personality 24-7 and people are going to pay money to see me do it. Mm-hmm. Um and, and as far as work, like I, I think he's he's a, a a very good worker, not a top tier generational worker, like I, I would say AJ Styles is, but very good and certainly competent to be in in big main events. And I think he is an all time top tier promo, which I'm I'm gonna put into that category as well, is because it's I think I think we should be considering things like I think we I think that should be like a performance criteria rather Absolutely. than rather than just your in ring work, but maybe what you were able to do as a performer on the microphone as well. And I'm giving him extra points, especially when you look at this ballot that's got Edge and Randy Orton on it. Uh, I think I think he is sincere in being straight edge and, and whatever. And I, so I think I believe that he's never done PEDs. And then I then you look at Edge and Randy Orton, who I think on their own are borderline candidates, maybe not even as strong candidates overall as, as I think CM Punk is. But I know because of the what's the signature pharmacy scandal right that they they were receiving anabolic steroids and human growth hormone from about 2004 to 2007 and those years are the years that edge and randy orton rise to become main eventers so that makes the decision easier for me and i'll tell you what the difference and I, and I put it more was. bluntly in uh, on, on twitter and i was putting the pillory for it but i'm okay now well i i think you're right to say that there there's definitely a difference between someone who 
builds their brand and their abilities using one set of rules and someone who's willing to break any rules to get there, right? Uh, you know, I was just just lotting Chael Sonnen, and he's the poster boy for <laughs> abusing PEDs in yeah. an attempt and I, to— And I feel like when you've got—I I feel that these wrestlers have made a, maybe a nonverbal agreement, at least, and then WWE has put it—enacted it as part of their policy that we're going to—so I, I think wrestling is clearly a competition, uh, even though the matches are obviously a work and predetermined and they're— Put together, you know, we decide who, who wins and who loses in theory to put on the best possible show. But it's still a competition that you, the promoter, the booker still decides who's going to be in the top spots, right? Yeah. But so, so I think when you're, and when we've all made an agreement not to do PEDs, at least tacitly, and then there are obviously people throughout wrestling who, who choose to take PEDs anyway. So if you're going to do that, I think you get points against you. And if you're not going to do that, and if I believe you're sincere and not doing that, then I think you get points for you. Absolutely. I, I'm not, not going to doubt that at all because I, I'm actually a big, you know, we, we have a drug policy and we ignoring that drug policy creates an uneven playing field for people and it's bad for your overall health. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I, I do people, believe in that. So and I, and I have people argue with me like, well, what where are you going to draw the line then if it's just company policy well there's a ton of people who have violated company policy in a wide variety of ways um or if or if it's just drugs that you're concerned about well what about all these other people who you know tons of people throughout the course of wrestling history including many who are in the hall of fame have, have used drugs whether it's uppers downers uh yeah. so I, I think the line that i want to draw is uh hypertrophy to your muscles like cocaine soma Marijuana do not cause hypertrophy to your muscles, but anabolic steroids and human growth hormone do. So here's where I went, which was I was faced with that question of I've got a slot. Do I give it to Edge, Punk, Orton, whoever? And I went with the philosophy of I want the person who's the closest to the bar today that I think is worthy. And so Punk is at 20% last year. The year before that, he was at 22%. The year before that, he was at 19%. Orton was at uh, 15% in 2015 and 17% in 2016. Edge, who Dave is a big booster of and has made a difference by being such a big booster of, went from 22% in 2009 to 18% in 2010 to 46, 37, 37, 36, 44, 40. So right now, Edge is getting approximately twice the number of votes than a CM Punk is. Mm. And I honestly think that it's a big enough vote that both people can be on. And I'm okay with you know getting to the day where both of them are in the Hall of Fame. I think for me, it's pretty clear Edge is done with his career. He's made that very clear. He's, he's moved on. He, his, his body of work is available to judge and his time on top is. And I would agree. I think between Edge and CM Punk head-to-head – CM Punk has far higher credentials when it comes to influence and comes to um, promos, for sure. And I, I think our I, recency I, bias kind of, kind of under undervalues the influence of helping build the indies, the indie scene into the modern indie scene that we know today. Like I, I feel that in decades from now, we're going to look back on that 2002 period going forward. Like where I, I feel that that's the year 2002 or so, or maybe 2001. That's the period where any, any wrestling starts to become what we know it as today. And I feel that's a really historically significant event in pro wrestling history that we're, we're so near to and indie and indie wrestling, we can say has such small crowds that it's not that big of a deal. But I think in, in years to come, that will be perceived at least by historians as a pretty big deal. But I would also argue that SmackDown six era that edge was part of with the other guys you know that was huge too and that's around the same time and you see also that influence you know having a huge impact to say hey what if weekly pro wrestling television could be built around great workers this way and it would be captivating and interesting to people too and and so i i i honestly between the three it comes down to the fact that edge is getting twice as many votes and i want to get on the bandwagon of the guy that's going to get in just to move it forward because I'm tired of seeing these people <laughs> stall out and die. No, I'm serious. I'm yeah. really tired of seeing it. And to me, it's like I, it seems silly to me to create these arbitrary lines where then we start pushing out people that are so marginally close because I would rather see the people that are under 10 percent dropping off the ballot and above 40 percent going in 
than to see these people languishing at 20% for years and years and years and years. And so part of me is I, I think it's my responsibility as a voter, and this is my choice, to get behind some of these candidates and push them so that we can kind of, you know, the, the old uh, shit or get off the pot type mentality. And that's how I really feel about some of these guys. And so I went looking for candidates that have been in the system for a while and are, are looking like they could possibly get in. And so if you look at who I'm voting for, almost all of them have a minimum of 40% approximately for what they're doing or they're getting a couple hundred votes. So moving on um, just quickly. I, I guess like I don't – I haven't looked at that stuff very closely. And so I guess you think that that's something that we should consider. Like there's that's, would you call that strategic voting? For me, yes. And I don't think everyone should consider it. I don't think it's a it, – I think the people that have really clear guidelines of how they're differentiating all these candidates should apply to their guidelines. And I think you're doing the right thing. I'm just saying for me, I'm tired of trying to say that I'm using my votes to keep people out. I'd rather use my votes to get people in. And if I feel that I can I can push in the same direction as a bunch of other people who have either convinced me that this person is worthwhile or shown me that this person is at least on the borderline, I'm fine with them getting in because I'm fine with a, a Hall of Fame that has lots of borderline candidates in it. Because I don't think everyone's being fairly uh, evaluated on on their entire body of work, and almost every time you read a biography of someone, they sound like they're a Hall of Famer. Even if you're Count Billy Varga, you know you sound like something's amazing that happened in your career. And so I, I have a hard time believing any of these people got all the way to the Hall of Fame ballot period, got forty or fifty percent of the vote, and yet still were not good enough to get in. Mm -hmm. uh, real quick, why I voted for JYD. Uh, he popped Mid-South, obviously, from about 1980 to 1984. He was a top star there. And, and that I believe that territory was not doing much of anything before GYD comes along, right? Um, and you, 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 note that he, uh, you can note that he did this all in, in probably one of the most racist regions in the U.S. And he became a, a big star nonetheless with a wide audience. So I think he gets in on, on that criteria alone. Uh, not really as a worker, obviously, right? Not so much on influence, although you could say that the, being a major black star in a racist region is, is some, has some influence, but yeah. and and his charisma was was palpable. You know, his his time in WWF is not known for his work, but he was charismatic, and he connected with people. And even to this day, the chants you know continue on in that region. And I think I think he it was more meaningful than sometimes people give it credit for. Yeah. There, there's and, a handful of guys I would say like from my parents' generation. Who are so I've you know, I've lived in Buffalo all my life so this is like a Northeast WF territory, and I feel there are a handful of guys whose names will get brought up by older people, and it's like it's Bruno Snuka, and and people like JYD here and there as well. Agreed, agreed. So um, I'm I'm hoping for JYD. I think he's actually had quite a resurgence last few years here. Just looking at his numbers, uh, he went from 16% in 2004 to 29% in in 2015 to 32% in 2016. He died in 1998, so this is not by no means a death bump. I think it's a lot of people revising their reality of understanding how big he was at the time of Mid-South and really reappreciating how that propelled him into a longer career and how you know he had potential and some of that potential was squandered. And I, I, I understand him as a marginal candidate, but I think he um, – as a modern candidate, it's funny to put him in the same bucket against CM Punk, right? To think that of them as the same modern era. But um, they both had influence and I think they both were relevant for their time period and what they did. Yeah, And, and I should note that I was pushed over the edge, no pun intended, by a, a podcast from Chris Selmer and Dylan Hales where they went over the ballot and they made a, a – a strong argument for JYD that uh, convinced me. So I, I honestly think Slaughter and JYD are two people that have really benefited from a younger generation looking at their work and really lauding how good they were at the the situations they were placed in and what they did with uh, both attendance and you know performance at that time. And so those are two people that have really grown on my ballot and that I continue to support. Uh, I think it was Dragon King Carl who talked a lot about uh, Sergeant Slaughter that really moved me over, and, and JYD, Dylan Hales, and 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 Bix, and other people have really convinced me that yeah, he he deserves to be on there. So th those are more of my heart votes. Well, no, actually, Japan is my most heart votes um, uh, because I went a little 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 all over the place in Japan. Um, yes, we, so, we have an agreement on JYD in the U.S. You yeah. are voting for Edge and Slaughter. I am not. I am voting for Styles and Punk. You yeah. are not. And uh, 
you want to say? I think that's I think that's our only only uh, uh, that's our only agreement because I'm only voting for four people or past tense. I've voted for four people, and and that is it. I voted for Uh, one one person in the Japan category. Who's that? Junakiyama. And you have not voted for Junakiyama, but I'm I'm voting for Junakiyama because he's been a top just longevity most. overarchingly but uh, he's been a top tier worker or maybe just below a top tier worker for like about 20 years right you can even argue earlier than that because i think everybody talks about what a prodigy he was right from his debut right and there's that big uh tag final match where he he, he fills in for jumbo uh but anyway he, he's been a, a a really good or really well a he's been a top tier or just below top tier worker for about 20 years i would say going back to 96 and to Around this time, maybe maybe 2015, if you want to cut it off there. Um, as a draw, I think he was a supporting actor in the, in the late 90s. He's one of the five pillars, but he doesn't really become central to to All Japan main events until like 96, where he starts to team up with Masala. Um, I think he a, a, was a solid number three for Noah's obviously hottest run of, of the existence of that promotion, where he was just behind Masawa and Kobashi, and there were times when when Kobashi wasn't around due to injuries, and he had to, I guess, be the number two by default. Uh, he co-main evented a really big Tokyo Dome show in 2005 against Kobashi. So there's that. And I, I actually voted for Akiyama in 2014 on my ballot. As I'm looking back here, um, him and uh, Tao, I, I, I voted for that year. Um, in, in more recent years, I try to always use all my votes because, like I say, I think it's – I think it's more about getting more people on, and the only time it annoys me is when I think a vote is not going in a certain direction, and then I discover it's being counted against everyone else in a category. So like I, I feel I was, like I have to be really stingy with the votes, just be, I think because in part because I'm starting out, and I don't want to be like, well, I don't want to go voting willy-nilly for people who I'm not really sure go in, because this, this is like a new dangerous toy that I have, and I'm not quite sure how to use it yet. But. For years I felt that way, and then I, I kind of got over it when I when I saw how much little momentum was happening with some of these people. You know, like, I couldn't believe how many years it took uh, Carlos Colon to get in, and that just drove me up a wall. And that, you know, someone who is that, you know, we, we were doing an ethics test, or a morality test on somebody that we didn't apply to most of the other wrestlers. Uh, and so it, it just seemed bizarre to me with with Cologne. I mean, I understand you're, you're talking about the uh, the Bruiser Brody death. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, that that very similar to me to like why Shawn Michaels didn't get in for years and years was because people thought he was a jerk. Yeah. And you know, it was it was like either his work is good enough or it's not. Same with Toyota. It's like well, either I can, her work. I can understand in the case of Shawn Michaels, especially if uh, I think I said this on Twitter too. Like, I'm not sure if I would vote for Hulk Hogan because I think. In the, in the case of the younger Shawn Michaels and, and Hulk Hogan, perhaps throughout his career, with some exceptions, he's a guy who never really put anybody over and who always acted in his own self-interest rather than the industry or his company's self-interest. But so, I, don't, I don't think that – I would say it wasn't the industry's self-interest to put Hulk Hogan over. <laughs> like WWF grew to be a powerhouse on the back of Hulk Hogan, and it's hard to imagine many other people being in that situation that could have operated that well connected that well and been as good as they were in that position and actually got the company to the level they did. And so well, it, I think it's there's easy. At least three examples that I can think of where he didn't put somebody over in, in a way that he should have. So like Absolutely. H- Hogan and Warrior, where he, he takes the spotlight from Warrior's win. Hogan and Brett, which never happens. And then Hogan and Sting, where like the finish is screwed up probably by his direction to Nick, Nick Patrick. And, and possibly Hogan Flair. Um, you know, you could argue that there, there might have been more to do there that they never really got it right. But yeah, no, I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you on that. But I don't think, I don't think there's a way you can write wrestling history and not say that these selfish people who uh, were incredibly influential, popular, and productive were not, in fact, important members of professional wrestling history. And I, I don't mean that in a negative sense, like a Benoit type, like, well, he's important because he did such a terrible thing. But I think Hulk Hogan drew enormous houses, popped houses everywhere, was really big. And yeah, did he stay on too long? Sure. A lot of people do because it, it's hard to be a self-regulating mechanism. But I, 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 I would find it absurd for someone not to vote for Hulk Hogan, not because it's some kind of childhood, oh, he's my hero, but because you can look strategically at all records and say, look here, this is what he did that made a difference. I, I wrote a Indeed Wrestling article on it um, years and years ago where I looked at all the houses with and without Hogan, 
and of maybe 60 cities, 40 of them show enormous changes. And yeah, there's a small group that was basically flat, but that was small. <laughs> like it was enormous how big the changes were when Hogan was there or not there. And so it's easy to look back with old eyes and say, ah, maybe Bruno wasn't as big as I thought. Maybe, you know, this guy wasn't as big as I thought. But I, I, I think Hogan definitely on the numbers, on the data, everything proves it. And just the fact he's a bad actor doesn't mean that he <laughs> should be published, punished. And that's the same way I felt about Shawn Michaels. Uh, I, I the think, fact that he was a bad actor and took a lot of drugs and acted really dumb yeah. didn't mean that he wasn't really, really good when he was on and that he didn't influence a ton of people. And I'm big on influence. Influence is one of my biggest measures. And maybe that's not what a lot of people judge on. But to me, it's like if you have a legacy that leaves behind – what change, how you change the industry. I think that's really big. And that's why I would vote for a guy like, um, uh, the ring star, um, whose name is just eluding me also Volcan, oh. you know, uh, Volcan is the type of guy that to me, it's a legacy thing, right? That he influenced a whole generation of people to try and work in a certain way. And he was the best at that. And the fact the style died out hurts his legacy, but it was really interesting to me. Like and the, I thought he the deserved style, to get it. The style doesn't, uh, as it, as a full promotion doesn't really exist, but the influence is still there. I, I love Volkan. I'm not sure I would vote for him because I'm not sure he's a big enough star. But with Hogan, I I think he's a I would he's possibly the biggest draw in wrestling history. But I feel that he's not been. I feel like I mean I feel that he has a responsibility to have been more generous to wrestling than he was, and he wasn't. And uh, and you know and, that's and, like and saying Muhammad days. Ali wasn't the best boxer because he didn't you know give back to more stars. But and that wasn't like, necessarily his job. But it was it's so similar. It's so similar is that when you're such a big star, sometimes you build the sport that you're in and you make it relevant. And then when you're gone from it, you can make it irrelevant. And that's what, you know, MMA had to face. And a lot of these promotions have had to face is that if you don't continue to see it as, as a bigger job to be both building maybe, the sport. Maybe the more apt analogy would be like if Muhammad Ali dodged a bunch of people who, who possibly could have beaten him and, and never had those matches because he didn't want to risk getting beaten. I feel like that's kind of what, what Hogan's done is that he could have helped make Bret Hart or Ultimate Warrior or Sting into bigger stars. But for whatever reason, he chose not to. Yeah, and I, I would and, then and say in, that, that goes so, to the promoter, right? That goes to the Eric Bischoff to say, why was Bischoff able to be bamboozled by this such a way that he did not well, put his two, down? two examples. The first two are Vince McMahon. Yes, but I, I just mean promoter. Like there's many times that, that Vince McMahon chose somebody and went one direction or the other. Eric Bischoff walked into the situation by buying Hogan and then giving him the power in a way that Vince McMahon many times just kind of put his foot down and said, no, I'm not going to deal with you, Hulk, if you're going to act like this. So I, I, I blame someone more who buys the known commodity than the person who builds it and discovers that they've built a monster. That's, but that's me. You know, that, that's me again. Um, Somehow we're talking about Hulk Hogan in the Japan category here. Well, <laughs> it, it, but it goes to my thing about influence. So for me, the three people I voted for, which I, you might you might have been surprised by, were Mike and Ben Sharp, Hayabusa, and Sima. And I've never voted for Seema before. I was shocked at how well he did last year. He did 40% last year. Uh, uh, Hayabusa did 49%, and I recognize that as largely a death bump. Um, I don't think he's going to do as well this year. Um, for me, that's my emotional my my emotional vote is that I feel that he on Japanese wrestling had an enormous influence. And in some ways, you could say it was from his accident was just seeing him persevere and make such a big show of, you know, even trying to walk to the ring and do things became a legacy in itself that he was so committed to kind of demonstrating how much how important this industry was to him and how much had been taken away from him of, of what could have been an incredible career. Um, and of course, his his absolute importance in FMW. I mean, you can't tell the story of FMW without Hayabusa. And as much as Onita is the star, Hayabusa is the example of, you know, building the federation not around the guy, but around the next guy. And again, you want to talk about someone not passing the torch on correctly, you can point to Onita a lot with that. Yeah, he sure. didn't do it. Um, like, and then like Mike, there's no reason why Onita has to beat Hayabusa on May 595 in, in Kawasaki Stadium. Like, no reason. It, it really doesn't make a lot of sense in, in the, the grander scheme of what things would happen. It's, a, it's an Onita's retirement match, if you don't know, and Onita's supposedly never going to wrestle again, although Onita just retired the other day again. <laughs> yeah, but he's supposedly going to retire in 95, and Hayabusa's going to be the top star, and uh, he, but Onita still beats him. 
And and I think just the style that uh, Hayabusa, you know, did develop over that time was really remarkable, where it's such a high-flying style, but at the same time, it was this violent, you know, hardcore style. Yeah, I think, you I know, think Hayabusa gets a lot of points on influence. Just for, like for me personally, as an example, I, he's somebody who the first Japanese tape I ever got was was a Hayabusa tape, and he's a favorite wrestler growing up. So, and I think he's influenced a lot of wrestlers in terms of at least move choice. Yeah, so I, I I just found him to be amazing. Sema I chose because I think the Dragon Gate style is a great example of kind of that pinnacle of the Mishinoku, the M Pro style that evolved, and you could say Sema in a lot of ways was the you know the ringleader, right? He he's the guy that that carried so much of this forward all the time, and um, I don't know if this would have existed without Sema. Um, in, in so many ways, I, again, I go back to, I think great Susuke deserves more credit than he gets. And I think Susuke is a guy that probably deserves to be back on the Japan ballot, but um, great, great, is, is Sasuke not in? No, no. Oh. Great Sasuke fell off the ballot in, uh, 2004 after getting less than 10%. Hmm. And I would, okay. I would personally advocate to put him, you know, back on that. I think he's, he's had an enormous influential career. I agree. He is not a, a liger, um, you know, he might maybe he's not even a SEMA at this point. You know, maybe SEMA's had so many more years. He's but, close um, to an Ultimo Dragon, I would say. Yeah, and, and Ultimo, Ultimo is a weird one because I think Ultimo got in largely too because he trained so many guys and had such a big influence on him. Where Susuke, well, sort Sasuke, of trained, Sasuke is the promoter. He's Michinoku Pro, and he has a lot of influence. And did he train people? I'm not sure, but I, I think he some of those people learned from him. Yeah, so I, I, I just. I'm a big fan of that style, so I, I voted with my heart. But at the same time, Sima had 40% last year. Hayabusa had 49% last year. And then my last group was Mike and Ben Sharp. They had 50% last year. I just year. real quick. Like, I, I didn't vote for Sima, but I might vote for him eventually, especially if Dragon Gate continues to be successful because like, I feel like that, that gives him credit to longevity, not just as a worker. But the longer the Dragon Gate is successful and the longer he is in charge of it, the, the, the more he accumulates credit. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, to me, it's like a Vulcan thing where, you know, he's he's really good at the style that he's doing and he he's the full package of that style. And if that style endears, then I think there's a huge legacy argument there. And if it falls to pieces, then, you know, you could say maybe it was a shot in the dark. But I, I, I think if that many other people, you know, 40 to 60 other people are seeing what I'm seeing right now in SEMA, then it's worth me saying I can also see that, too. So I'm I'm very malleable in that sense that sometimes I've I've kind of stepped away from coming up with this litmus test where only I think this is right and this is wrong as much as saying do other people see some value in this and for Sima Hayabusa and Mike and Ben Sharp I see value in is all this three. a movement getting behind you're saying right yeah yeah I would like to see people inducted who I think have contributed positive contributed to the entire sport of pro wrestling and I think every person that I'm listing here contributed to the sport of pro wrestling now I can't say X is better than Y every time but I'm not trying to I'm just trying to say I think X is good enough so the Sharp brothers I think are in the wrong category I try to do a little reading on them to see if I should because I did vote in the Japan category I think they should be in the they should obviously be in the historical category don't you think Yes, it, the problem is there's no historical Japanese category, and so it's a it's a mistake okay, in my so, part. So that historical category is just U.S. And yes, it's just U.S. Canada. I think it would be more accurate at this point to shove it all in together and say it's for all historical well, figures. The, the category is called "I followed historical performers era category, candidates." It doesn't say anything about a region. Yeah, but it's it used to be called modern U.S. and historical U.S. Canada. Okay. That that used to be the name they would use. Um, and it's clear from the, the people they list, that's where they put in. Cause you, you get those guys too, that like cross the boundaries, like a Carlos Colon. Yeah. I think every single one of these are either Americans or Canadians. Yeah. And then you get the people like Dominic Danucci, who's in the, uh, non-wrestler category. I'm sorry, not non-wrestler. He's in the rest of the world category. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that other wrestler category, I don't know if you can hear my dog running around behind me or not. <laughs> she just found a toy. She's very happy. A little bit. Um, it's good ambiance. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're like a guy like Dominic Danucci, who was a you know a U.S. wrestler for years and years, but was famous like for his tours in Australia and the Pacific Islands and things like that. Is more what he's going in for. So you get that weirdness of like, what about a guy who was a jobber here, but a promoter you know was a big guy here or something else somewhere else? 
um, like a Mark Lewin or something where, you know, they're all over the place. So it, it gets really tough. And I agree. Mike, Mike and Ben Sharp should be in the historical category. I hate the fact they're in Japan against these modern Japanese candidates. But I also think that, you know, what they did for bringing tag team wrestling to, to Japan and being, you know, big stars in Japan, I think they, they fulfill that criteria of, you know, the Gaijin in Japan type tag team wrestler. Because I believe they're the earliest ones. They, they come before Destroyer or Fred Blassie, right? Around the same time, around the same time. But yes, they're they're very much at the forefront of it. And, you know, in the same way that we find a new Zabisco to induct every few years, I feel like the Sharp brothers deserve some credit here. Uh, non-wrestlers, I did um, five. Uh, Jim Crockett Sr., Gary Hart, Jimmy Hart, Jeff J- – I'm sorry, Jerry Jarrett, <laughs> and Stanley Weston. And in the past, I voted for Jimmy Hart for years. I think Jimmy Hart is the lifeblood of Memphis wrestling. And, you know, Jerry, Jerry Lawler is huge, but Jerry Lawler wouldn't be as huge as he was if he didn't have Jimmy Hart as that incredible, uh, you know, antithesis and just all the contributions Jimmy Hart did both in Memphis, but then in WWF and in WCW and the fact that he's an enduring personality, he wrote theme music, he did this and that. If we're talking about inducting, um, you know, a ring announcer like Howard Fingal, I think Jimmy Hart contributed much more to professional wrestling than Howard Finkel ever did. And I don't think Howard Finkel's a bad candidate. So I, I can't say enough things about Jimmy Hart being just influential on the manager category and being um, productive. You know, he, he's been around for decades and decades, and he continues to contribute in different ways. Yeah, I would consider voting for Jimmy Hart if I was going to vote in this category. It's something we should bring up. So I abstain from this category, but is that even a thing that I can do as a voter? No, because what you're doing is each one of these candidates counts against the the subcategory that they go against. So Jimmy Hart would be in the modern U.S. category. Uh, Stanley Westland, Weston would be in the historical category. And that's how they get counted, which is which is foolish. I hate that. I hate the fact that Dave doesn't make that clear, that when you vote for someone in this category, you're doing a no vote for everyone else who's in that same quote-unquote category as this wrestler. Right. And so like, the reason I didn't vote in the category is because there's candidates in, in this category include like Jim Crockett Sr., Ed Francis, Don Owen, George Scott, Stanley Weston, guys who I don't feel like I'm really familiar enough with their careers to give them yeah. a, a vote of yay or nay. So I, I went I went on the basis of a couple things. Stanley Weston, I thought, you know, if even more than Bill Apter, I think Weston, you know, influenced the idea of the professional wrestling magazine. And I, I think he deserves some credit for that. Um, and that's another guy that I think uh, Bix has really sold me on over the years here. And he was at 39% last year and 44% the year before that. Uh, Jerry Jarrett, um, a guy that I, I've been lukewarm on in the past, but he's at 48% in 2015, 47% in 2016. He's in that range, right? He's in that range where there's a lot of people who see a lot of value in him. And as a borderline candidate, I'm I'm fine with that. Like I, I think he did contribute huge to Memphis and even the creation of TNA and other things that he's done. Um, that wouldn't have happened without him. Uh, Gary Hart, um, really influential to the people that seem to know him and to the people that saw him. And so I'm not going to, to use a book or two and not just, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so him, him as a thought leader seems to have really influenced some of the thought leaders of today. Cause you do meet people like, um, I think even Lagana will talk very highly of, of Gary Hart or actually not. Well, Lagana might, but I'm thinking of, um, who runs MLW? That's a court power. Court Bauer. Court Bauer will talk forever about how much he loves Gary Hart and the genius of Gary Hart. And again, I find it hard to believe that Gary Hart is worth more than Jimmy Hart, personally. Like, Jimmy Hart, to me, just the number of companies he worked for, the number of things he influenced, it's just so baffling to me that he he's not in, you know, I, yes, he's not exactly a Heenan, but in some ways, he's done so many places, so many things. You know, he's on that level of the Obano and the Heenan and and whatnot of those those people that really made a difference in in the time and then jim crockett senior another guy that for years i've been very lukewarm on um but i think he's a lot more successful than jim crockett jr and again 57 percent last year 41 percent um i'm sorry 57 percent two years ago 41 percent last year that's you know a, a lot of people see the value in what he's doing there and maybe i'll be accused of being a bandwagon voter but uh I, I can say unless I see a, a glaring reason why someone is not worthy, I, I think I, I have read and seen enough about Jim Crockett Sr. to make it make sense to me to vote for him. So I have to vote in this category. I have to remember. I don't have a choice. Well, you have to vote for anybody who's going to be if in I'm the subcategories. 
well, just vote for like if you're going to vote for U.S. modern, you have to keep in mind that any of these other U.S. modern guys would be in there. So Gary Hart. And Wait, Jimmy so the Hart, non-wrestlers category is just an appendage of the U.S. modern category. It's the appendage of whatever category that person belongs to. Oh, that's right. So okay. Stanley Weston goes in historical. Jimmy Hart goes in modern. And most of these guys are either going to be modern like, or historical. Where is that explained and defined? Like, how do how never, am I supposed to never. know? Well, how, how do you know, know it? Okay. <laughs> Great question. How do you know? So when you take the annual results, so let's take a uh, Jimmy Hart, right? So if I go to Jimmy Hart and it says last year he got 162 votes and that's 46% of the ballot, right? Mm-hmm. So 162 divided by 0.46. Live math right here on the air at Russell Knox Radio. That's, That's 352 is what you get there, right? Yep. So that means there's 352 possible voters for that category. So if I go to my my spreadsheet and I say, what in 2016, how many people do we need to get? It says for U.S. Modern, you need 213, which is 60%. So 213 divided by 0. 0.6 is 355. So essentially, it it you can infer by the percentage they get what category they were slotted into. So what I basically figured out was Jimmy Hart was on essentially out of 350-some ballots. He was on uh, whatever the percentage I said was, 47%, um, 46%. And the fact that it was against a denominator of 350-something proves that he was in U.S. modern and Canada versus if I look at Stanley Weston. He he got 109 votes and that was equal to 39%. Which means he's out of a basis of about 280 people. And if I go back up to 2016 and see how many people needed to be in modern, I would see that to get – I'm sorry, uh, historical. Historical was 170 at 60 percent. 170 over 0. 0.6 is 283. So again, that 280 basis. So if you're around 280 voters as your denominator, you're probably in historical. If you're around 350, you're probably in modern. And the way I figured that out is, again, never published somewhere. And that's also why you find some people are in ridiculous categories, like Gran Hamada. Gran Hamada appears like he might have been in uh, Japan for a couple of years and then in Mexico for one or two years. Uh, the same thing I see with Chavo Guerrero Sr., where Chavo Guerrero Sr., when he first appears on the ballot, it appears they're giving him a denominator of Mexico and then Japan and they put him in U.S. Canada. That kind of drives me nuts that when guys are just randomly moving around different categories year over year. And of course, I wasn't a voter at the time, so all I see is the results. I don't see the ballot as it was presented. Maybe Dave published it in one of the observers there. I'd have to dig in. But um, so that's that's the way we kind of discovered, oh, God, non-wrestlers are affecting everyone else. So when a couple of years ago we all voted for the um, the brothers who uh, uh, did women's wrestling. That's in all the uh, brothers. Yes. We were voting essentially for no's on all the other Japanese candidates. Right. And the year, you know, so that, that kind of drives me nuts that these non-voting categories are somewhat actually also counting as negatives for everybody else. And that's that's bad math. And that's where I get into my whole thing about, like, if someone else was running this process, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a couple math errors. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. So I, that's that's what drives me you, nuts. And so I tried not to vote for for categories. But even in this, you know, I ended up voting for historical candidates like Stanley Weston and Jim Crockett Sr. And so I probably gave no's to all those other people in the the historical category that I didn't actually feel qualified to vote on. Right. So, right. You're, you're putting people in to vote in categories that they, they've otherwise abstained from. Yeah. yeah. We have to go through Mexico. We, we talked in our brief pre-show meeting that you said you didn't want to spend, go too deep into the Observer Hall of Fame. But here we are. I know. You want to go, I know. go through Lucha real quick? Very quick. I uh, just say I voted for Volano 3 for Los Misioneros del Muerte, um, Blue Panther, and Sin Caras. Mm-hmm. Um, Cine Caras. Uh, it, not Sin Caras. <laughs> uh, and, and the reason for those was. If I could vote for um, one candidate, I would vote for uh, Luis Uribe. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, that's Sin Cara Mystico. Oh, for Mystico, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Mystico, great example of a guy that, you know. Some interesting legacy things. I need to see more of where he is in his career mm-hmm. before I could make that decision because he's a great – he's the perfect example of a guy who had a very hot short period of time he was on top, went somewhere else, was not a big star. Mm-hmm. 
And then yeah, the, the, the WWE run hurts his perception, if nothing else. I think, and I'm not, I wouldn't say I would vote for him for this reason, but I think every uh, winner of the Observer Wrestler of the Year award, except for now AJ Styles and uh, Mystico, are in the Hall of Fame. And I think eventually, yep. just about every, I think every wrestler who wins that award is eventually going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think yep. his run, he, he reignited Arena Mexico. Uh, I think it's 2006 is the year that he wins Wrestler of the Year and he beats out John Cena. I think uh, he is maybe the biggest lucha star of the of the 21st century is that is that, crazy? Is that yeah. a crazy thing to say yeah. it depends on how you categorize ray mysterio yeah i know there's all the you know the atlantis and wagner and some guerrero have had really big matches and stuff as well and la park but yeah yeah no i i think it's 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 a argument to be made uh, lucha is not my bread and butter um, Rob Viper, Jose yeah. Fernandez, Lucha Blog all put out their yeah. ballots, and I saw a lot of the same names. And, and Lucha Blog um, is Cubs fan, correct? Yes. One of the same, yeah. Okay. I think. Well, actually, no, I don't know if they're the same I think, person. I think they're one of the same. Okay. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I thinking? Yeah. Um, and so I thought, really, you know, all these guys I mentioned there, 58% for Karras, 50% for Blue Panther, 56% for Los Missionaries. Uh Volano 3 is at 56%. Um, they're all near there. And for me, it's just like, this is the year to push. And so actually my very initial view was Mexico. I'm going as deep as I can on Mexico and I'm pushing as much as I can on Mexico. And so I took the guys that I thought were at the top of the ballot who also I thought were really strong. And it's encouraging to see Lucha experts also really, you know, pushing a lot of the same direction. Um, and so I really hope this is going to be a big year for, for Mexican wrestling because I think they've been underrepresented and I think some of the standards that we apply to average U.S. guys are blown away by these Mexican guys in terms of history and strength and working ability and even drawing ability. And we just have such little visibility to it that we, we underappreciate both Japan and Mexico. So that's that's my ballot of 10. I get more than 10 because the non-wrestlers don't count against your 10. So I get to do my 10 on five in Mexico, three in Japan and uh, three in uh Oh, did I overvote? <laughs> oh, no. No, I, I did four in Mexico, three in Japan, and three in the U.S., and then I did five non. I, I counted them up this morning. I think you have nine that are not in the non-wrestler category. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. No, you have ten. Okay. Yeah. So, again, big boat. That's the, the short version of my answer. And uh, we have spent an actual hour on Hall of Fame, which uh, mm-hmm. I, I regret immediately because I said I was not going to do that. So this we, don't, uh, we, we might have, have to edit. Content. We don't have enough content. Maybe we'll edit this into a uh, a separate version or something. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican jerk turkey sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.